You're listening to Once Upon a Podcast, a show all about the rediscovery of children's literature. Join hosts Sarah and Chandler as they delight in childhood classics and discover new favorites. Hey, Chandler. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Um, It's slowly but surely turning into spring here in New York City, which is wonderful. Yeah, and it's really warm here in Southern California. Oh, so lovely. I it said... is, although, so I moved, um, I, I like recently moved to a new city and there's something new about the street, which I had not experienced before, which is that there's pollen everywhere. Oh. So my car is just like filthy. And I know that other states get this a lot worse, but yeah, this is like a new spring experience for me is that my car is just constantly covered in pollen. So that's fun. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a problem we have back in, in um, Ohio. Yeah, that makes sense. What is what is something that's exciting about spring in New York? Ooh, well, I'm, let's see, I saw magnolia tree blooming the other day, which was just a joy because I missed the ones at Hillsdale um, mm. because they're so beautiful. But the place where I live is, it's 17 stories tall and it's right in near Greenwich Village. So I can go up on the roof and they have this kind of open area up on the roof and I can see downtown Manhattan and uptown. And I can see the Jersey Shore from here. And it's gorgeous. It's such That's a good so view. cool. Yeah. So when it was really warm um, on Sunday, I sat out there and wrote letters. Aw, I love that. Yeah. So it was a nice... I was going to ask if it was a good reading spot. But a good writing spot is good, too. <laughs> yes. I was actually going to read our book up there. But and then it got cold. So I went inside and read it. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like this particular book would be extra sad if you're reading it and there's like beautiful colors everywhere. I agree. So yes, I went back inside and was very sad that I had to go back inside, which was a perfect setting to uh, walk into <laughs> this book, which is The Giver by Lois Lowry. <music> Memories play an enormous part in Lois Lowry's life shaping who she is as both a person and as an author. Born in Hawaii in 1937, Lowry was the middle child of three, two girls and a boy. She spent much of her early life and teenage years moving and traveling due to her father's position as an army dentist. From Hawaii to New York to Pennsylvania and even to Tokyo, Lowry is emphatic that these experiences shaped who and what she is and deeply informed her writing. After two years at Pembroke College and Brown University, Lowry married U.S. Navy officer Donald Gray Lowry and continued her many moves around the country. They had four children, two boys and two girls named Alex, Kristen, Gray, and Benjamin. Lowry had spent time as a young girl scribbling down stories and poems and ended up finishing her degree in English literature while raising her children. She was a freelancer for Red Book Magazine, discovering a passion for photography around the same time. This passion turned into a profession and child photography is her specialty. Lowry published her first book, A Summer to Die, in 1977, based off her own experience losing her older sister to cancer at a young age. Sadly, that same year, she and her husband, Donald, divorced. She continued pursuing her writing career by finishing her degree, going to graduate school, and focusing on writing professionally. In 1979, she met Martin Small, and they remained together until his death in 2011. Death, loss, the human condition, and other deep topics fill her stories. 
Having lost her older sister to cancer and then her oldest son to a plane crash, Lowry had difficult life experiences that worked their way into her stories and shaped her beautiful lyrical writing. She's received a number of awards, including, but not limited to, the ALA Margaret Edwards Award, Newbery Medals for The Giver and Number of the Stars, and the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Children's Book Award, and the National Jewish Book Award for Children's Literature for Number of the Stars. What does it mean to be truly human? This is a question twined throughout Lauer's 1993 book, The Giver, which is our book for today. This dystopian fiction was well ahead of its time in this genre, and definitely falls into the teenage literature category, which actually Chandler has a point that she will make later. So we're Yeah, we'll talk, talk about that. that. <laughs> yes. Um, the book deals heavily with themes of the human condition, pain, and free will, to name a few. The reaction to this book was enormously positive, but as with many good but thought-provoking stories, it has its share of controversy. Lauer yourself addresses some of this in her introduction to the book. Violence, euthanasia, sexuality, and more have all been cited as reasons for banning this book from school libraries. Lowry's response to this was simple, quote, I think banning books is a very, very dangerous thing. It takes away an important freedom. Anytime there is an attempt to ban a book, you should fight it as hard as you can. It's okay for a parent to say, I don't want my child to read this, read this book, but it is not okay for anyone to try to make that decision for other people. The world portrayed in The Giver is a world where choices have been taken away. It is a frightening world. Let's work hard to keep it from truly happening, end quote. So Chandler, I before we jump into our themes that we've each picked, what is your opinion on when to read this book? Yeah, that's a good question because it's really a heavy book. I mean, we just talked about some of these really heavy themes. Um, but part of what makes its book this book so impactful is um, the theme of euthanasia, which we'll talk about in more detail. Um, but just to sum it up a little bit, there's this concept in the book of, of release. If a person is, um, a criminal, if you've broken three rules, uh, even babies who are unwell, old people, once they get toward the end of their lives, they're all released into elsewhere. And we really don't know what that means for almost all of the book. It's in, at the end that we figure that out. And I think to anyone who either has read other dystopian novels or seen movies or, knows what euthanasia is, the fact that release is, is euthanasia is not a shock. Um, but for me, reading it when I was probably about 11 and really didn't know what that was, like I still remember just how shocked I was um, to something that looking back now, I can think, well, yeah, of course, that's what it is. Um, oh, yeah, of course, they're just killing these people in this horrible, evil society. So I think the book, it's a lot heavier and it's a lot harder to read. But I think that young audiences will get more out of it and be more struck with the message if it's a new concept. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I was wondering about this as I was reading it. Because, so I've never read this book until now. I've heard a lot about it. Unfortunately, full disclosure, I saw the movie, the 2014 boo. movie that came out. I know before <laughs> I read the book. No, no, it's <laughs> boo on me because I have a policy that I didn't stick to with that when I watched the movie before I read the book. Um, and I'd heard everyone talks about this book. It's one you have to read and uh, people read it in school and, and so on and so forth. And so as I was reading it, I was, well, one, very depressed. And two, uh, I don't know. I felt almost like I would have had – it would have been better if I had read it when I was younger because I almost came to it with too much knowledge 
if that makes sense. And it would have been, it would have, like you said, it would have, might have had a, it did have a deep impact on me, but in a different way than it would have if I was younger and read that. So it's still imparting really good, deep things now. But yeah, I almost felt like I would have had, it would have been a little bit better if I had read it when I was younger. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, because I definitely agree, but it makes sense that that you would also, I don't know, that you would like feel that sense reading it too now as an adult for the first time. Um, and I kind of thought about like when, like for my own kids someday, when would I have them read it? And I kind of feel like this is a good introduction to the topics that it deals with, right? Because someday you're going to, your kids are going to learn what these horrible things like euthanasia are. And this is a good place to start. Yeah, I agree. I would probably give it personally. I think I would probably give it to my kids around eleven or twelve. But I, my kids someday. But that's something I would I would want to think about. And probably the last thing I would say on this is that this book is really deep. And no matter when you give it to a child, it's something that you should be having a discussion with them about, and you shouldn't just hand it to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I remember my aunt who used to be an eighth grade English teacher. I think she read it with her kids, which I remember at the time that I was in eighth grade feeling like maybe you could read it a little younger than that. But I think definitely middle school and discuss it with your kids. Great. Very, very good. Well, thanks for that, Chandler. I'm, I'm glad we were. I wanted to work through that. So let's kind of jump into some themes here. What do you, what's something that really jumped out to you when you read this book? So I have noticed a lot um, this theme of individuality. Um, and tied up in that, there's, you know, the individuality of the people in this town. And there's a couple things that are wrapped in with that emotion, color, all of that versus sameness. And in the book, differences in different people, they're not discussed. Differences are discouraged, um, especially for kids as they're growing up, until the point where they're old enough that differences can be useful for jobs. Um, there's this one part in the book where Jonas, um, the main character, is given these pills that he has to take in order to suppress some of his emotions. And he realizes that his best friend Asher had been taking these pills the whole time, um, or for a while at least, and he... He'd never asked Asher about it because it would have been rude to point out differences. And there's just a lot of things like that in the book. Um, we learn through Jonas's experience that there are no colors in his world. There's no seasons. Even everybody's skin is the same tone because there's this deep sense of wanting to suppress individuality. Um, and as part of that, there really aren't even choices. They can't choose what color shirt they want to wear, even if they could see colors, because somebody might make the wrong choice. And Jonas has this conversation with the giver, kind of his mentor, where he determines that choices are unsafe and they're frightening. Um, and so that's just something that stuck out to me a lot in the book was this theme of individuality. And ultimately, I mean, to skip to the end, it's when Jonas embraces the things that make him different, he's able to escape this society and, and bring the wisdom that he's gained to everyone. Um, there was one little scene that that I don't remember before but that really stuck out to me where um the giver gives Jonas this memory of a time long long ago of a birthday party and uh Lowry writes quote he understood the joy of being an individual special and unique and proud and a big part of that too is that their emotions are very subdued which I think in the book plays 
really well with this suppression of individuality. It's not just are you, there are no colors, but your skin is the same tone as everybody else. We don't talk about differences, but you don't even have emotions to make yourself unique um, or special or there's, there's no understanding of that. Exactly. No, I think that is a fantastic, fantastic point. And also on the suppression, one of the, the themes that I was thinking about throughout this was pain or the lack thereof. They, this society was trying so hard to get rid of pain of any kind, whether it be physical or mental or emotional or anything like that. Um, because well, humans just have such an aversion to it in, in, uh, in our everyday life. It's, we want everything to be smooth and, and easy and simple and straightforward. And life isn't like that. And so the society, like you were talking about with the suppressing individuality, was trying really hard to get rid of pain. And Jonas finds when he's our main character, when he's with the giver and he's starting to receive these emotions and his mind is being opened up, That's it was really, really hard. I mean – Talk about the courage that he had to have to be exposed to that. Can you imagine being exposed to like, actual emotions for the first time and and that that and true pain, not just the the little things that we experience every day, the pinpricks or the stub toes, like actual pain. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we even see the first time that Jonas experiences pain um, is when he's given a memory of a sunburn. And at first he's like, oh, this is terrible. But then quickly realizes this isn't so bad. Why they said this would be painful. This is fine. But then he goes on to learn about death and war and loss and hunger and all these things that just really weigh on him because all of those emotions, good and bad, have just been taken away from this society. Right. And that can be, that's so dangerous. It sounds so, there's so many things throughout this book that sound so good that I, I think we're going to touch on more of them as we talk about these themes. But when you really dig down deep, what truly makes us human is as hard and as awful as pain can be, what's its purpose? And I think they have taken away the beauty of pain. Yeah, absolutely. Story. And that kind of transitions into something I want to talk about with this theme of memory. Um, so Jonas's role is to bear all of the memories of the past for the society um, with the idea that he would gain wisdom from learning their history, but not just history. It's the emotions too, the, the pain and the love and the sorrow and ev happiness and sunshine and everything that everyone has forgotten about. Um, and he, he really has to, do that alone, right? That's a big part of this theme of memory too, is this isolation. In fact, there are some days where Jonas goes to see the giver and he's just in such pain that he sends them away until one day when the giver's in so much pain, he begs Jonas to take some of his memories. So he starts like giving him these horrible memories just so that he won't feel so isolated. And in fact, at one point, the giver even says to Jonas, the worst part of holding the memories is not the pain. It's the loneliness of it. Memories need to be shared. And we really see all of that going together, memory, pain, individuality, emotion, all of that really comes together in Jonas's role for the society, which really is just bearing their burdens so that nobody else has to. Right. Well, that, that sense of aloneness just really struck me throughout, particularly with that. I mean, what a, what a unique perspective the author had to, to think about, to think in this way that she would think to say or to write that 
one person holding all of the memories of everything. What a what a burden. That's so hard. I mean, just think about all the memories that we have on our own, but are are hard or are joyous or are terrible or are fun or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't think of just the idea that you have these memories and you can't share them with anyone. It's not something that would necessarily jump to my mind as painful, but but of course it is. And it certainly is for Jonas. And I mean, it drives him away from his friends who he can't tell what his, what his job is, you know? Exactly. And, and his parents who he asked them if they love him and they don't even know what that means. Like he can't even tell them that, you know? Well, I think about this in my own life with much smaller things than, than Jonas was was talking about. I mean, moving out here to New York, I don't have – like I'm my, – my sister is my best friend. We did tons of stuff together. We went to school together at, at, in Hillsdale, and we would do lots of things together. We had all these shared experiences there that we could talk about or joke about or cry about or – or whatever. But then moving out here, I have all these experiences that I want to talk about, but then I just have to try and describe them or I can't have an inside joke or or laugh or be upset about. I can tell people, of course, but it's much different than like having a shared experience with someone else. Yeah, I'm glad you used the phrase shared experience because that's definitely what I was thinking of, which in a sense is what the giver and Jonas are having because it's not just let me tell you what happiness is, but it's very much here's this really specific memory that I'm going to impart to you. And that creates this bond between them that ultimately leads to their devising a plan to improve things. Exactly, exactly. So this is a bit of a jump. I I can't think of a good segue, not my forte here, but... Just start singing. I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, will, I will consider that for next time. Good okay. improv point there, Chandler. Thank you. <laughs> um, not singing, but speech um, is what I'm going oh. to jump to on this one. But uh, I'm not going in order here. For listeners, we have our, our show notes here. In case you want to No, no. This is all off the cuff. Oh, yes. Because we know yes. how good I am off the cuff. Don't tell them. We're all good. <laughs> I jumped to point three instead of two, so... It's fine. You can do that. You can do whatever you want. It's your podcast. Oh, man. No, it's our podcast. It's fine. Um, so when I said earlier when we, were, when we were talking a little bit ago was all these different things about the society that on the surface seem really great and interesting or helpful in creating community. And uh, one of those things that I thought was just really interesting was the precision of speech that they all cultivated and they weren't allowed books except for like a dictionary. I think they were like a rules manual and a dictionary, which a dictionary of all things. How interesting. Um, but they were – they whenever they used a word, they that's how the book starts is, is Jonas is trying to think of the correct word to describe what he is feeling. They're trying to be hyper – precise about absolutely everything which can be in my mind i mean we live in a world now that is well and this has gone on since the world began communication is one of the worst things that we're the worst at it's so hard i mean men complain about women and women complain about men and marriages can't we can't figure out how to get along it's all about communication and breakdown of communication so this seems like a noble pursuit, trying to be so exact in the words that you're using and in explaining things to people and in telling things to people. And 
part of that makes sense. We should be trying to be precise and exact in explaining clearly what we mean to other people. However, this society takes it too far. They're analyzing the meaning out of everything. They're being clear without any depth. It's very surfacey. And Jonas starts at the beginning with finding, trying to find the right word. And I think he comes up with apprehensive, I think is what he comes mm-hmm. up with. And we see this throughout the book. But then at the end, once he has, or near the end, he's back with his family, but he now has all this knowledge from being with the giver. And he sees this ritual that they, when his family is sitting around their table, sharing the their days with each other and trying to work through kind of giving giving words to their thoughts. He sees how shallow it is and it's just it just devastates him. He sees that they are not being real and authentic, that there's so much more to life than just trying to put the exact words to something. There's emotion involved and and all these other and, and talking about it, not just trying to analyze everything. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting. That was something that struck me reading it this time, too, is that there's so much suppression of emotion. I mean, he really he has to take these pills to keep himself from falling in love, right? The the emotions are so suppressed and their individual individuality is so driven out of them. And yet every night they go around the dinner table talking about their feelings, right? Yeah. Because it is it's about them being precise and it is all very surface level, the things they're describing. And the idea is not so that they can understand their feelings. It's so that they can express them. And then like, that's it. Like, it's kind of supposed to be just this cathartic. You say it, now it's over. Now you don't have these feelings anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, which is super fascinating. So another important theme, of course, that we've talked about a little bit is this theme of death, which Jonas doesn't really even know what that is. He, he knows of one case where a little boy accidentally drowned. But other than that, he's surrounded by death, but he doesn't realize it. In the release of the old, of babies who are sick, of twins, of they at one point release one baby in a set of twins, people who break rules. And then, of course, there's the really heartbreaking story of the girl who was chosen before him to be this receiver of memory, uh, Rosemary, who is just so overwhelmed with the pain of it all that she ends up committing suicide and it's it's rough but it it's just something that I think every time this book every time I read this book it makes a little more sense to me why Rosemary would just feel so hopeless and so depressed after everything that she's learned right and this like you said it's just constant throughout the book and as someone reading it for the first time when I'm older, I saw it from the beginning and it's just so hard to to read those. But I can't imagine as a kid when you're just reading it and then you get to that, particularly that scene um, with his dad and the bait and the twin yeah. is so hard. Even even though I knew it was coming, it was so awful to read that. I mean, as a child to come to that realization that makes an impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Larry does a good job of showing us Jonas's perspective as somebody who absolutely did not expect this. And I mean, he just loses his mind and he doesn't want to go home. He doesn't want to see his father. He's just looking at the giver like, how can we let this happen? How is this going on? And the giver has to assure him, you know, these people don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. Um, but I think even 
hopefully reading it as somebody who, you know, saw the twist coming, you still get the sense of his shock and his horror because Jonas did not see it coming. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very visceral in, in, in the story and it's so, oh, it's so hard to read, but I think that's the important thing. And that is woven throughout the book is that sense of hope that Jonas is. So the giver hasn't, the giver realizes his limitations in a sense. And so he's trying to, he's there for Jonas and then Jonas kind of bring, breathes new life into him in a sense. And so that's when they're able to kind of make this plan that they're like, no longer. This is so, I think, I think the giver is moved by Jonas's reaction to that. And from there that's when they start to develop their plan yeah I think so too and that was something I was kind of wondering reading it again this time around is why didn't the giver do anything sooner but he really does need Jonas to to have that perspective to to remind him of the horror of it all yeah and to bear it with him you can't do it alone yeah well my final theme that I wanted to just touch on I just wanted to mention it very briefly because there's not a lot to work with but it's music and the arts and I was very struck throughout the entire book um and this was it was very slow by the middle of the book all of a sudden I was like wait I oh I haven't noticed this at all it's probably because it's not here but towards the end of the book the the giver tells Jonas when he's about to leave on this on this treacherous journey that he has memories that he's going to give him or things he's going to share with him to give him strength and he says I'll give you music and Jonas says no keep that for yourself because you need this consolation as well and so that's the only mention of music throughout the entire book and as somebody whose life is heavily revolves around music in a lot of ways I was just struck by the fact that that was not even remotely a part of the um the daily life of the people though i take it back i think right at the beginning there's a mention of the kids singing a patriotic song um in school i'll have to check i don't remember that but or maybe okay. they were reciting something or or something like that but yeah it's if, if they do it at all it's incredibly utilitarian and same with the arts this the only mention of creativity that i remember was in the home for the old and this everything is so utilitarian and i again and it's really interesting because music is heavily connected to uh emotion and so are the arts and that that creative spirit and so i thought that was really uh telling that that had no place in their society yeah absolutely and i loved that you like picked up on that as you were reading it um because you're right, it does play so heavily into emotion and individuality, and there's just there's no sense of music or art in their society, um, which is one thing that I remember even from the very first time I read this book was how struck I was by the very last page when Jonas finally escapes and he hears a sound which he just knows is music. He hears people singing, and it's like some kind of echo, and he doesn't even understand it, but like he's finally experiencing music. Yeah, and it's so... Oh my. And for anybody that is uh pondering or that has uh wrestled with those that last page, the end of the story and doesn't know what happens or 
just is frustrated or confused or whatever, Lowry did that on purpose. And you should go read her Newbery acceptance speech. We'll put it in the show notes. It was one of the most beautiful it's like reading one of her books, which is just, in my mind, very lyrical and, and flowing. Reading this speech was just stunning. And she lists a couple of things that students and children had written her in stories of what they think the ending is like. And I was just struck by the beautiful responses of these kids. I, I was that. like, wow, <laughs> children. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I always thought that you remember that memory that when the giver shows him love and it's this family on Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. I always thought that's where he went. I did too. Like, really? Okay. Yeah. I, I was agree. a little surprised that it like wasn't super clearly spelled out in the book, but I mean, I think because it's snow and there's warmth and there's singing and togetherness that I always thought he just showed up at some family's doorstep and they were celebrating Christmas. Actually, that's exactly what I thought. But then I read some of these kids responses and they ranged from, wow, bummer that Jonas died at the end, to, <laughs> like, literally one kid wrote that. He was like, yeah, great story, ma'am, but, man, bummer that that kid died. <laughs> to so this other kid that viewed the story as cyclical in the sense that Jonas came back to the community, like, where he was arriving was his community, that while oh. he was traveling and all of his memories were now released, all those memories that the giver had had bequeathed to him were being released, the giver was helping the community to adjust to those. So then Jonas comes back into the That's community. interesting. Isn't that amazing? I was like, wow, yeah. out of the mouth Dang, of kid. babes. <laughs> what the heck? Wow. I love that. Yeah. So there's a couple other ones. So people should go check out her uh, acceptance speech. Do you have a album that you would like to share with us? I do. Um, well, when I was reading the book, I was listening to the album If You Leave by the band Daughter um, because the whole album is kind of bleak and, and it's beautiful. Um, but I just I think it works really well with the bleakness of Jonas's society. And there's this one song, Youth, in particular, that I've always loved. Um, and the lyrics go, shadow subtle on the place that you left. Our minds are troubled by the emptiness. Destroy the middle, it's a waste of time from the perfect start to the finish line. And if you're still breathing, you're the lucky ones because most of us are heaving through corrupted lungs, setting fire to our insides for fun, collecting names of the lovers that went wrong. And just the the theme of emptiness um, and even just kind of the roughness and the the shadows settling um, just reminds me of the bleakness of this black and white society um, and the sense that it is it is very empty. They don't have emotions. They don't even really have a sense of family. Wow. That is really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Really sad, but but really beautiful. Well, the the food, the recipe for this one was tricky because in, as you read the book, you see the people at meals and things like that. But again, food is so utilitarian. It actually made me really sad because to me – Food is such an important part of my family life. I think that's what brings families together. It, it, there's a history with food. There's traditions in, involved and just all this stuff. So that was, again, that was something else that I will not talk on about, but that I felt was something else to be uh, noted in the book. Um, but the one main mention of a food item is an apple. 
and that single apple where Jonas starts to catch the color red. And when I was up at Hillsdale one year, I so I'm a big Pinterest fan, and I actually made these. And you make an apple pie, but just using the apple itself. And you you make the filling, you carve out the inside of the apple, and you leave the the shell kind of intact. And you take the the meat out of the middle, and you cook it all up, and you put it back into the apple, and you make like a little pie crust. And you stick it on top and you bake it all in the apple itself. And it gets all soft and, and squishy and you eat it with ice cream. And it's very good. That sounds really good. Yeah. And it looks very, very cute too because it's all contained right in the apple. I love that. And also it seems like a good way to like eat a whole pie yourself without actually eating that much pie. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> I mean, oh, so good. Though I'm a big fan of pie crust. So it's always sad that there's not as much pie crust there. However, you get lots of apple. So <laughs> it's healthier. It's very, very good. Well, what are we going to read next time? What shall we tell our listeners? Yeah. Um, so we will be reading the book A Year Down Yonder by Richard Peck. I'm um, so excited. And yeah, I'm so excited, too, because we were talking about this before we started recording, because you love this book. I read it as a kid. I know I loved it. I don't remember it at all. So it's amazing. I will be reading it again, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, yeah, so if our listeners would like to read that um, and be prepared to listen to us talk about it two weeks from now, that would be fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Chandler. Thank you, Sarah. And thanks to D. Yankee for our intro and outro music, Driving Home. <laughs> 